Welcome to the Making Sense of Ministry podcast, presented to you by the Youth Ministry Institute, a podcast designed to help you lead well in your ministry, transform lives, and impact generations. Here's your host, Brian Lawson. Hey friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Making Sense of Ministry podcast. This is episode number three. If you're somebody who's in a church and you struggle to find leaders for your ministry, you think you've looked everywhere, you've asked everyone you know, and you can't find any more volunteers, then friends, this is the episode for you. Our guest today, Savannah Rogers, brings some great insight into a population that often is overlooked by those of us leaders in ministry. Savannah is a youth minister in Central Florida. She went to Florida Southern College and received a degree in religion with a concentration in youth ministry. She's now a YMI student, soon to be YMI graduate. And although I don't know for sure, I would guess that she's a number seven Enneagram. And I think you'll hear through my interview with her that she is very good at seeing potential in people that maybe others easily overlook. Savannah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So you're currently a Youth Ministry Institute student, Mm -hmm. and you'll be graduating in May. It's been about a year and a half that Mm -hmm. you've been in YMI. So what are some ways you've seen yourself grow in that year and a half? I think a lot of my ideas of what youth ministry should be or has to look like or needs to look like have like grown. And it isn't just the stereotypical cookie cutter thing that I would think of or a lot of people would think that youth ministry has to be. And it's what, just... What was that? Like, what is something you thought of that was before? Um, the typical, you have to meet on a Wednesday or a Sunday night, or you have to have young people always in your ministry as volunteers, or that you have to play dodgeball or four square or things like that. Um, that sometimes we do, but also that's not the big things that define what we do or how we do ministry. What would you say it is now? So we know it's not those things. Right. It's not just four square dodgeball. Right. What is it to you now, though? Um, I think ministry to me now is really just focusing on seeing and hearing and loving our students um, and all the walks that they come to us in and walking alongside them as they discover their faith and put their faith into action as they grow up into becoming young adults. Excellent. So shifting gears just a little bit. So you serve, I think, in the rural context, right? Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about your church, the community, kind of the demographics? What, what's yes. your setting like? So I serve in a rural southern um, church in Florida. It's an agricultural community, um, very known for the citrus um, and all the oranges. There are some families who have wealth. And then there's, for the most part, a majority of our population would be somewhere around the poverty line, either just above, right at, or a little bit underneath. Um, And so there is some wealth in areas, but there's also a lot of poverty in areas. And so it kind of is a mixed bag of everything, you know. Um, But also it's very small community, very tight knit. I would say religion and especially Christianity is important in the community. Whether or not church attendance is always happening is remains to be seen. But the idea of being a Christian or having a faith life is something that is important to a majority of the community. So how do you balance out? Because you've got a population you said that's fairly wealthy Mm -hmm. or well off. And the population that's not, 
how do you balance that out? I mean, when you do events or you go to activities, like how do you balance out those who can pay for it and those who struggle? Right. Um, so a lot of it is um, kind of needs based um, because we do have some families who can outright just pay for things and they do outright pay for things as well as we do have a lot of students who cannot. And that would be the number one thing that would inhibit them from participating in a lot of things. Um, and I just think that money shouldn't keep you from participating in ways to reach Jesus or find the Lord. Um, and so it it kind of depends on a case by case basis of um, what it is, but we overall as an entire ministry try to curb it. So like expense isn't something that has to be a worry because a lot of our younger families who are in our youth ministry would be a more on the um, poorer side. And a lot of the older families in our church are on the wealthier side. Um, and so like they see that as well. And so they're very um, giving thankfully, to our ministry and help include that because they also don't want students to be barred from something um, because of money. Yeah. So is your congregation mostly older congregation? Is it younger? Is it kind of a mix? What would you say? I would say it's mostly older. Um, I would say maybe there's a 15% that's younger. All right. It tends to be a trend, right? Yes. We see that a lot. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges you face serving in youth ministry in a congregation that tends to be older? I think the biggest challenge right away um, was the fact that there were really no young adults or young people. And so finding volunteers, because a lot of older adults didn't think they could volunteer or that they were able to or um, were even confident in themselves to volunteer. And so I think that was the most um, challenging thing to begin with is because they recognize that youth ministry is important, but they also didn't recognize where they have a place in it. And so, and most of your volunteers are older, right? Yes. So what's your volunteer team like? Can you describe a little bit? How many do you have? What's the general age, do you think? Those kind of things. Right. Um, so I have a solid team of about six regular people who come weekly, And then, um, but in my overall team, about 10 to 15 volunteers who at least come once a quarter to volunteer. Um, And the average age, I would say, for the majority of my volunteers would be mid to late 60s. Really? Yes. Wow. So how did you get somebody who's 65, probably retired Mm -hmm. or newly retired, how do you get them to volunteer in youth ministry? Because it's not typical, right? I mean, that's not right. what we usually think That of. is not typical. No. Um, so I just looked a lot for people that I just thought were really warm and encouraging and loving and caring, um, which I would think the majority of our congregants at our church are wonderful at. And so just finding those people, as well as people who had those qualities, but also really saw interest in youth and really saw the importance of youth ministry, whether or not they thought they could fit into that. And I just kind of leapt onto that. Um, I had this one volunteer. She had just retired. And two days after she retired, I called her up and I said, I hear you have a lot of free time on your hands now. Would you like to be a mentor for our confirmation class? Um, And she was one of our church leaders. She knew a fair amount about Methodism as a whole, as well as our church as a whole. And she said, you know, sure, why not? And she has since volunteered as a mentor for confirmation. She leads a middle school girls small group for me weekly now. Um, She also helps out weekly with our youth group, has been on a mission trip for the first time in her entire life. 
And she also went on a weekend retreat with us. And so she has been absolutely awesome and amazing. And she was one of those people who would have originally never thought like this was for me. Um, and she just is, I couldn't imagine her having ministry without her. Wow, that's cool. So what did she retire from? She worked in the medical industry. Um, she worked in the labs where they do blood work and stuff like that. And so she kind of does have a, a medical background, but she was a supervisor in one of the labs. So she wasn't like a teacher. She wasn't nope. like she hadn't worked with teenagers probably really all that often. Nope. And she, you brought her in two days after she retires and says, hey, come join us, right? Yes. Wow. So what are the benefits you think of having a volunteer who is 60 plus? I think there's tons of benefits. I think they have a lot of depth because they've just lived so much more life than your students may have, than you may have. They have a maturity to them um, that a lot of times younger adults don't have. They see things that you may miss just because maybe you haven't had kids. Do you have a, like a situation you could think of that one of those adults saw something? Right. Yeah, they're just, they have a lot more caution um, probably than I do in the sense of like, they think of all the factors of, oh, we're a little close to the pavement right now. We might have to move a little bit further so we're in the grass more. Um, And like think those things throughout when you're like playing with students, you don't always pay attention to where is the concrete? Are we getting too close to the sidewalk or do we need to move 10 feet over more so we're more in the grass? And like kind of monitoring like, hey, we need to watch this line so that, like there aren't injuries or just looking around and seeing things that need to be picked up here and there that might drop at the wayside because on our list of to-do things, they're at the very, very bottom. I have an adult volunteer who comes in and cleans wash rags for me every, at least every two weeks. And that's on like the bottom of the to-do list that would yeah. never get done. Yeah. Um, but she sees it. And so she's like, that needs to get done. So they notice the little things. And they notice the little things. And and sometimes it's the things that you would never think to think of, too. Yeah. How does a student receive a 65-year-old retiree, never worked with teenagers? How does a student receive them? Do you think there's caution on the student side? Are they wondering why that person's here? Or do you think that they're excited to have that person there? I think it's a little bit of both. I think though our adults who haven't worked with students for a while are a little bit more cautious than our students are just because they it's been a while if their kids are grown or if they're not around their grandkids all the time since they've worked with young people or been around young people. And so they're a little bit more cautious because they realize how different it is. But I think my students receive it super well. Um, they love our older adults because it's kind of like they're a form of grandparents for them that are right then and there. And they know our older adults care about them and love them and always want to see them. And they always want to go talk to them and they share their life with them and they absolutely adore it. Was it intimidating for you being in your 20s to say, I need to figure out how to train or support somebody who is significantly older than me? Was that was that intimidating for you? What was that like? And how did you go about deciding you were going to train them? Yeah, absolutely. Because I just come from it of a place of I am an I'm in my 20s and I'm an adult, but I am not like 60 years old. You have 40 years of experience on me. You've probably had kids of your own. I don't have any. Um, you've 
probably been through this once, maybe twice, even who knows, especially if you have grandkids. And so it's like, I'm teaching you how to work with students, even though you probably could write a book for me of how to learn these things. Um, But I also think my adult volunteers have just been so receptive and so loving and understanding of this is a team effort and we all have something to bring to the table. Um, I never ask my volunteers to be anything other than themselves. I don't expect them to have like my kind of energy or my kind of personality. So I don't expect them to move at a different pace. Um, I understand they're a little bit older. They might move at a little bit of a slower pace. But they're not expected to be the high energy, the one who's doing cartwheels down the room, anything like that. If that is who they are, then they absolutely can do that. But that's not expected of them because that's not what's needed. What's needed is sometimes the slower pace, the calm in the room, the someone you can just go and talk to for a minute, kind of adult. Yeah. So you mentioned that they might be at a slower pace, which makes me think of that there might be some challenges to having a team that's a little bit older. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those challenges? So I would think some of the challenges with working with older adults is it's kind, it's not a concern, but you also have to be aware of, and are we doing too much also on them as well as the students, you know, making sure if you're on a long trip or a mission trip, you know, when you're checking, is everyone drinking water? Are your older adults also getting a little bit hotter in the sun? And kind of paying attention to that, or do they need to sit and take a rest break too? Because like like we said earlier, I'm in my 20s, and so I don't need to rest as much as someone who's in their 60s and who's worked their entire life needs to rest. And so kind of paying attention to those things. But I think overall, the the struggles or the challenges really aren't that bad because it just builds community. Um, we have some older adults who walk a little bit slower, and I notice kids who will stand back and slow their pace just so they can walk with them and keep stride with them. And like to me, that just says so much in worth and value, um, as well as the community that we're building together. Yeah. Those senior adults have shown so much love for the teenagers that the teenagers are now returning it, mm-hmm. right? What a yeah. great picture that is, too. Yeah. And I wonder, so we know that's doing a lot in the lives of the students, but I also wonder what that's doing in the lives of the adults. Right. You know, how is that transforming them, that experience? Having a team like you've described, Mm -hmm. what has that taught you about leadership or about ministry or about students, whatever? What has that taught you personally? I think it's taught me that there is no one person that fits a certain mold that has to be in ministry before I worked with a lot of older adults. I probably never would have done it, except it was a necessity. And now that I have, I'm like, why don't more people do this? And like, why did anyone think like they shouldn't do it? Um, they're like the largest untapped resource we probably have in our church of people with free time um, and who want to spend time with people and still stay active, but have the ability to do it. And so it's taught me that, but it's also taught me that different people have different gifts. And also at no point in your life are you really done serving um, and continuing your faith and all those different things. Like you're always doing that. And so we have to continually ask people to serve and to look for those people who are wanting to reach out. Yeah. So if we have a listener who's thinking, okay, I'm struggling with adult leaders. I don't Mm -hmm. have enough. My congregation's older. Mm -hmm. Um, How would you say they should go about trying to get leaders who are retirees? Okay. 
I would first, number one is just be really observant when you're in worship times or just fellowship times at large areas and groups um, with congregants, because sometimes there will be people who will stick out to you who are maybe those greeters, or you see someone who's playing with some kids who they're not their kids or something like that, or those people who just interact really well and kind of just be really observant to all those who are around you and kind of think to yourself, would that be something we need for our ministry? Would this be something that would be great? Um, as well as talking to senior members of either staff or and your church leaders of who do we have that's really great of what you're looking for. Like if you're looking for someone who can welcome students on Wednesday night, who do we know that's really welcoming, that has time, that maybe needs something to do because they don't have anything to do yet and would be great to fill this role and ask them like personally ask them. And if they say, oh, I'm too old or I don't know, um, you know, talk to them about it, encourage them about it. Say, I've seen you on Sunday mornings welcoming everyone. So I know you can do this. And our kids need to be welcomed just the way our older adults need to be welcomed. And I know you could do that. Um, so I'd really love if you partnered with us in doing this. Yeah, that's excellent. I love that you say you see them mm -hmm. and you observe because... Mm -hmm. What I would do is I would have a running list on my whiteboard in my office mm -hmm. of potential leaders, Yep. and I would watch them for a few months. And then what was nice is I could go to them and say, hey, uh, John, I've had you on my whiteboard for a few months now, mm -hmm. and I've been thinking about you, and I've been watching you, and I see this in you. That, Like you said, you're welcoming, and it, it would be so great for you to bring that to our students. Right. And I know you might be scared or intimidated or it might not be something you normally sign up for, but would you consider it? Mm -hmm. Right? Because when you have their name on there, you've been watching them, you're showing that you value them already and they're not even on the team yet. Yeah. Yeah. So they really respond well to that. Yeah. To somebody who is maybe a little confused about their ministry right now, they're... Mm -hmm tired, they're not sure they have enough health, they don't know what else to do, mm -hmm. what kind of encouragement would you give to that person? I would say it always gets better. I had a person once tell me, um, you can't quit on a Wednesday. You just can't. Um, and you can't quit on a Thursday or a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday or a Monday or even a Tuesday. You just can't quit. It'll get better. Um, it comes in seasons. There are seasons where it is a rock star feeling and everything is clicking. And then there are seasons where you feel like it is an absolute dumpster fire and you are wondering why you've even decided this and are you really called? But you are. And it does get better and it gets so much better when you have people around you to help you and to encourage you and to also carry that burden or the joys that come with it. And when you have those people around you that you can confide in and your team to say, like, how can we do this better? Where can we improve? Um, that just makes ministry so much easier, even if it's one person. You don't need a team of 80 people, even if it's just one person that you can say, how can we do better next week and talk to? That makes it so much easier. I know for myself, I personally think youth group goes so much worse than my adult volunteers would think. And they'll be like, today was an awesome lesson. And I'd be like, really? Because like, so and so talked and this happened and you know, a kid licked a plate and they would be like, yeah, but the lesson was really great. And then the other 
15 kids were paying attention while those three kids were doing whatever those three kids were doing. And at the end of the day, it was a really great day. Um, And sometimes having those people to remind you of those things when you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is a little rough right now, are absolutely amazing and life-saving. You know, the thing that strikes me about Savannah's interview is that she seems to have personally grown from the leadership that she and her students have received from her volunteers that lots of people would have written off. And then the reality is, I've had a similar experience that some of my greatest leaders have been 60 plus years old. As Savannah suggested, spend time looking around. When you're in service, when you're at a coffee fellowship time or a church event, just watch people and look for the qualities that you need and that your students need. Do not let age be something that holds you back from recruiting what could potentially be the best leader for your team and for your ministry. And now, friends, we're in our quick win segment, the segment where we provide you with a tip that will help you gain a quick win. Leader covenants. I wonder, do you have one? Leader covenants are something that you and your leadership team, your adult leaders in your ministry sign to agree on how you'll support one another, how you'll support the ministry, and how you'll focus together. These leadership covenants are something that you sign every year. And one of the things that I have included on my leadership covenants in the past is that every adult leader will make a valid attempt to recruit one new leader in the next school year. Having this in your leadership covenant will not only help your leadership team take more ownership of the group, but it will also expand the audience of people that you could pull from to be a part of your team. Well, friends, that's the end of this episode, episode number three of the Making Sense of Ministry podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave us a rating. Help us out as we seek to help you and help others make sense of this thing we call ministry. For more information regarding coaching, consulting, job placement, and online courses, join us at yminstitute.com. 